so I just want to deal with some of the Bible verses that were used, you know, to, you know, against me, towards me, I guess. And I'm going to do the best I can to understand them or explain them and just try to see things in context, I guess. And that that's the key is I've kind of read things. I don't fully understand all this stuff. I don't who I mean, who is I'm just praying, Holy God, Holy Spirit, you know, help me understand the word of truth that you, you've given to me. It took me years to accept that the Bible was true. I mean, that's all other conversation but it really isn't i really you know it's tra- it has transformed my life i guess i guess we'll just start we'll just start at the beginning okay and um first john 3 8 through 9 uh, and this is really sin as an indicator of salvation um so whoever makes a practice of sinning this is the esv is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil no one born of god makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I think the I think the Holman Standard uh, Bible, which I, I use sometimes with the CSB, I think it just says sin, uh, like the one who sins, you know. But it's interesting that I think ESV put in practice of sinning. Uh, here I have, is this the ESV? I have, yeah, so I have actually First uh, John 3, 6. So no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who uh, keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So this was told to me, you know, I never knew you, Robert, because if you had known him, Robert, you wouldn't be looking at porn all the time. Well, how much is too much? So sin is an indicator of, of salvation, not just faith alone. It's, well, it's faith alone, but sin is the indicator. So you didn't have real saving faith. And that's that becomes the issue at, at Pure Life. NASB in 3.6, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or known him. So I think it's interesting that NASB just says sins. Um, and I was reading the Amplified too. The Amplified has a lot more of kind of the theology that I'm articulating into that. Kind of seemed more to be like an issue of like, are you abiding in him? Like think, uh, was it John 14 or 15? If you abide in me, you can't do you can't do anything. Uh, the one who abides in me, he th- you know is thrown into the fire. You know they're, they're saying, I'm like, okay, is that a salvation verse? What's the context of that? Well, he's talking to his disciples. He's not talking to the unsaved world at that point. So see how there's a context behind some of this stuff. And when we read things out of context, you know, it's like, um, you know, oh, the sinner's prayer. You have to forgive those as we're forgiving. I know that's about relationship, fellowship with God. He's talking again to his disciples. We'll get into that a little bit. So this was the first one that was kind of used against me. You know, see, you're 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 not. And I was like, I was like, okay, I guess I'm not. I was like, wait a minute, I. You know, if, if you're right, I mean, this is what the Bible says, right? But I, I just had to check in my heart. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. He's done this before. He's done this at Moody, where I, I, I've been at school, Moody Bible Institute. You know, just like when I was like, I don't, I don't know. You know, let me let me just start praying and reading and, and, and thinking about this and, and, and studying and, and seeing what others are saying and doing. And, you know, you start to t- start to realize, okay, there's there's more to this picture. Something's being falsely, falsely uh, represented biblically. And again, you know, I'm going to stand before God and give an account for what they say, what I say, and they are too. Uh, you guys are too. If, if one of you watches this, like really, like we need to rightly divide the word of truth so we're not ashamed when we stand before God, right? We can inc- that that implies that we can incorrectly divide the word of truth, and that's what I'm trying to get at here. Is I think that's what's going on. And again, I'm not running around calling people heretics. I'm not doing that. No, I don't think that's. You know, I, I believe we're all, I believe we're all saved. I mean, they might not, you know, but still, I think people would look at me. I mean, like some of the guys that I was talking with there who did, I think, agree with most of this, they still like, Robert, just seek Jesus. So total heart of love out of a lot of the guys there, pure life. Um, my heart goes out to them. I mean, they mean well. I, I do. I really do. Some of the stuff down there, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but, you know, it, it's a spectrum, right? You know, God knows the heart. 
So, so yeah, I, I was reading, you know, I was, I was asking, you know, this is the one is of the devil. You know, you're like your father, the devil. He says this to the Pharisees who are acting hypocritical, right? Okay, so we'll get to that uh, a little bit later, too. Um, and this is a big, big point for them. You know, you're of the devil. The Pharisees went to hell. You're like the Pharisees. You're going to hell. And so, and again, I think these are different examples, different things kind of interwoven. But uh, I see it as an issues of origins, behaving of God or of the devil, like God or like the devil. That, you know, the devil is the first sinner. You're of the devil. You're like him. But it doesn't mean you're not saved. And that's the point. I think that that's what that, that is getting at. You know, he's writing to the beloved, right? If a, if a brother does sin, here's what you should do. Um, and then he talks about a sin leading to death. I don't know what that, you know, I legitimately don't have an interpretation for that. I don't understand. Um, is pornography a sin that leads to death? Uh, I don't know. Uh, is suicide or murder? The Catholic Church, I think, has a list. And so that's, that's the thing. Um, you, know, you have these different translations saying a practice of sinning or keeps on sinning or the one who sins period well we, well, we know we don't have sinless perfection it's interesting when i was reading the rebuttal against andy woods it says you know the heresy of sinless perfection perfectionism so there's all these heresies that everyone's looking out for i'm like oh my goodness can we just sit down and talk about it like help <laughs> yeah first john and two first two seven he's writing to the beloved right so these are saved people and i guess from what i can tell this is an indicator of fellowship with god and maturing and as a believer and again we'll get into that uh, carnal christian doctrine and and that kind of stuff. And so now I just kind of want to give the bigger picture of like, just kind of like, okay, the one who sins of the devil. But then it says here, Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So right there we have something key, an opportunity for the flesh, meaning that is a legitimate possibility for for you were called to freedom. Called you see a lot, right? Walk worthy of the calling to which you're called, right? Called to freedom, only do not use your freedom, which you have, present tense, as an opportunity for the flesh. So can you, okay, because if you lose your salvation, this is key, you lose your freedom, right? Because you're back to being a slave to sin. Okay, so the question is, is see, I see that it's a legitimate possibility for a saved person to use their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And he's dealing with the Galatians, right? In Galatians, legalism is a big issue there, right? <laughs> kind of kind of getting back to that, and it seems like we're dealing with similar issues here. Again, you know, the freedom and an opportunity for the flesh. You know, sin as an indicator of, of, of your salvation, you know, sin as an indicator of salvation or not, you know, or is it a, is it a justification before men, but not before God, you know, sin without works is dead, useless, okay, it's not non-existent, but it's useless faith, you know, this is what James is talking about, so this is, I mean, right, right, Martin Luther called that the epistle of straw, James, right, because that's how he understood that, but as I've heard it interpreted, dead means useless. It's not in the sense of non-existence, which is actually very, I'm thinking of Ken Ham because of how he defines, it's interesting, death, this is a tangent, but death and life are totally understood differently in naturalistic atheism, for example, or naturalistic evolution, whatever. Um, death means literally cessation, and life means you, you have a conscious mind, but biblical life and death is whether you know God or whether you're separated from God. Knowing God is to be with him. Um, different definition. Um, it's very so. I don't know. I just think that that might play a part into that being separate, being useful for God to God. I, I, you know, there's there's a lot there. I'm just trying to see the bigger picture. So anyway, uh, Ephesians, uh, or no, sorry, ESV from the ESV, First Corinthians three, verses one through two. But I, brothers, could not. He's again remember this to to the Corinthians, and they were in all sorts of sexual sin, incest, uh, prostitution, arguing, taking each other to court. You know, so this is this is a a misbehaving church. And so some people say those were false brothers because true brothers wouldn't do that. And I'm saying, no, there's a distinction between uh, mature Christians and carnal Christians, and we'll get into that, or infants, which is just new people, right? But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, 
not with solid food for you were not ready for it. There we see kind of a distinction. He can't address you, but I brothers, right? Brothers saved. He's identifying with them that they're saved. Could not address you brothers saved, justified. It's done as spiritual people. Okay. He can't. Why? There's a difference there. Okay, but as people of the flesh. And then he goes on, he's like, aren't you just behaving as mere men? You know, you're just you're just behaving after the flesh. So that's kind of the point of that. And this is also in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. About this, we have much, so he was explaining something, but about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you, okay, and this is, again, a written to believers, Hebrews. This is very key. You have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Okay, who should be teachers? Unbelievers or believers? Believers, right? Okay, so those you should you ought to be teachers. You, so this is showing that there's a distinction in progressive growth once you become a Christian. That's what it's saying. Um, you need to be the, you need to be taught the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Again, this analogy for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Okay, infant in Christ, right? But solid food is for. Uh, the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained uh, by constant practice to discern good from evil. So again, we're seeing this distinction, okay, categorization within the ranks of the saved church, right? We see, and, and this is kind of where the discussion happens, because if, if this is a legitimate possibility, biblically, then we totally need to re-understand our, our, how we, you know, how do, how do we counsel? How do we defeat our addictions and this and that? And this is why. The Lordship Salvation proponents aren't going to, you know, see it this this way that there's such a, you because know, if you're a porn addict, no, you're not saved. You know, are you habitually looking, you, you keep on sinning. Well, the Bible says, you know, if you keep on sinning, you know, so I'm trying to understand things in a bigger picture. And so again, I, I see this, this demarcation between, or distinction, right, between a infant and a carnal and a mature, I should say between really a mature and an infant or a carnal Christian. Okay. So anyway, Ephesians 4 uh, verse 1, therefore... This is Paul's therefore. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. See, a choice. This is why it's not automatic. It's a choice. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. To me, this serves a choice. See, God isn't a puppet master. Some Christian theology, it kind of paints God like a big cosmic puppet master. You know, like deter like hardcore deterministic Calvinism. You know, I, I, I have Calvinist friends. They aren't, you know, most of them aren't five-pointers. You know, and if you don't know anything about that, it's just it's a very... Like, like God's election, God's sovereignty is, is everything's understood through the lens of his sovereignty in a sense. Um, I actually think he becomes more sovereign, more powerful, or more omnipotent when you actually understand the, the intricacies of human agency. Like it's actually, I think it's quite, it really makes God more powerful because it's not the way we think. It's like, shh, you know, he has done this and this is, you know, and he's powerful and don't touch that or else you're denying his sovereignty. And I'm like, no, I actually think it's, it's just greater than that. I mean, he actually moves within our choices and the things that we do. But but this urging is a choice, okay, in sanctification, right? Which is the setting apart, right? You are saved, justified, now you're being set apart, right? So you're you're progressively becoming holier. I don't want to look at porn. I don't. Not anymore. I've my childhood years, literally, yeah, I mean, I was a young kid. I mean, most people are now exposed at a young age, but now I'm moving on. I want to be renewed in my mind. So Therefore, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's not dangling hell over their head. This is real. He's like, do this, do this. Okay, we'll get into what the disciplines are for not what happens when you don't do this. It's not going to hell. It's something else. It's displeasing God. It's dis being disciplined as a son. Hebrews 11, right? You know, being disciplined as a son, which is painful, but it's good. God's doing it out of love. He's not dealing with us according to our sin debt. It's done. 
he only deals with us according to restorative discipline. If if it's if it's anything negative, right? Because of our sin. But other than that, it's always love, always love, always love. Even the suffering that will come into life, and we'll talk about this later. Like God, if He allows anything, it's because He's like He's seeing the big picture. He's like, listen, I want to shape your heart, be, being worthy for a king and a, or a queen, worthy of eternity, ruling with me, the messianic kingdom, the age, or whatever your view is on eschatology, end time stuff, right? You know, just He wants, or you know, rewards, doctrine rewards. I see it more. I see with the, the biblical picture being more intricate than heaven or hell, heaven or hell, heaven or hell. You know, it's 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 got a relationship with us. It's beautiful. So. Um, but I urge you, why would Paul urge us if there wasn't a choice? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace. So this is before the therefore. To, uh, so for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast. Okay, so see, we see it's faith alone. And for our five-point Calvinist friends out there, and I, this was important to me, but gift is neuter, and faith is feminine in Greek, meaning those two don't relate. So when the Calvinist comes along and says, see, your gift is the faith, you don't even have the choice to believe. You're so dead in your sin, you have the total inability to respond with the Holy Spirit convicting, right? So I do believe Jesus says, I will draw all men to myself, right? And the Holy Spirit is convicting the whole world, right? He desires none to be, none, none to perish, but all to come to the knowledge of the truth, all to come to repentance. We'll just find repentance later. Um, it means change your mind to faith in Christ. So the gift is salvation, the eternal life. It's not faith. Faith is still something you need to exercise, right? It's always trust. Trust. That's what faith means. Trust. Confidence in. I'm confident Jesus paid it all. I'm confident I have peace with God. I now know. Uh, Romans 5, Romans 8. You know, we now have peace with God. We'll get into that later. So I just, I thought I'd mention that. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, past tense, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we have, past tense. It's been done. And then Romans 5.11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So it, we have it now. We are reconciled. So can you unreconcile yourself through sin? No. Well, that's the thing is no, but they're saying, well, but if you are habitually sinning, you never had it. So see, see that sin is, the, sin is an indicator of salvation. So that becomes the issue. Okay, John 20, 30 through 31 is the, so John, the book of Gospel of John, why do we say read the book of John? to the unbeliever, right? Because it was written to them. None, none of the other books are written to the unbelievers. So we'll say, well, Acts gives us the only progression of how someone is saved. No. Well, that's true, but John is the only book written to someone who's actually an unbeliever. And what does he say? Believe, believe, believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs. This is John 20, 30 through 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. So he, I think he records like seven signs specifically in, in the book, Gospel of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, so this is the promised Messiah, the, you know, uh, what is it, Micah 5, 2, you know, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, Isaiah 7, 14, uh, born of a virgin, uh, Isaiah 53, he's going to suffer and die for our sins, you know, some, you know, this, the, he's the, he's the prom, and these are, this is a Jewish guy, John, where he's like, he's the promised Messiah, the promised Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may, you may have life in his name, by believing. So he's like, this is someone who doesn't believe that by believing you may have life in his name. So, and he's saying Jesus is the one who's always promised to come. This is all in the Old Testament, right? What we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. So, so a couple is John 6, 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has, past tense, eternal life. You have it. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has, past tense, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed. I think that's a present perfect Greek. From death to life. So, and then, so John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, 
He sent his only son, whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, skip down John three eighteen. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only Son of God. So this is the key, you know, that God is trying to reconcile the world back to himself. This is God's big picture. He's like, you know, and this is the glory of God. We talk about the glory of a lot of theologians talk about the glory of God. It is, like, but it's, but it's like God, God's glory is who he really is. God manifesting himself, making himself known to the world. We're like, wow, God is so great, good, uh, beautiful, perfect. This is God. Um, and this is his glory, that he wants to, you know, that anyone who believes would be saved, would, would know God again. It's beautiful. And walking, and that relationship is what literally brings the power to overcome porn addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction. Like, it literally, like how many times have I heard some people, like, I've probably heard three or four, like, probably five times in my life, people I've talked to in person, or I, I've read about a few of them, I think, but there's, like, at least four that I've talked to. I'm like, like, yeah, Jesus just set me free from my smoking addiction. I just asked him to, and it was done. I think porn addiction is different because, you know, it's a sin against the body. And Corinthians talks about a sexual sin is a, something that a man, a person does against his own body or her body. And, there, and God uses sex as like, a, like as an imagery for like the relationship with us. So I think there's something deeper. And I, I believe the reason God doesn't remove sexual addiction, he does sometimes, and I've heard of it a couple times where it's like, I'm not addicted to porn anymore. Like sometimes I've heard of that. It's very rare. But I think it's because God is trying to bring us into intimacy with him. And I think that's a relationship, right? He wants to, I mean, we're talking about God, immortal, infinite, wanting to know, created to know, and man to know, and to worship and walk with him. That's why he does this, because it's like, and I know if my addiction had been taken away, I, I would not be where I am today in a good way, like of me knowing him. It's been a painful journey for me, wow. But um, it's been a good journey, because now I'm seeing God, and I'm healing, and it's, and it's the relationship. So, you know, and really the devil, wow, the devil's such a liar, wow, because he tries to make God look like the devil, and the devil tries to make himself look like God. You know, that's the devil's goal. I think Rex Andrews said that in the Mercy Studies thing, the, what the Bible teaches about mercy. He says something like that. That's very, I think it's very true. So moving on, kind of in conclusion, good works are a fruit of salvation. They're justification and evidence to men. That's what I would, how I would interpret, like, you know, justification, you know, justified by his works, right, before men. I think that's how Andy Woods uh, it, Dr. Andy Woods uh, describes that from James, um, but it's not the basis of salvation. And everyone agrees, okay, good works, good, you know, fruits, it's, that's not the basis of salvation. We know that. But the promises of God are the basis of salvation. The promise is that the, the Lordship salvation proponent's going to, like, if you're in habitual sin, it's, that's, if that's there, that's, that's proof that you're not saved. So it becomes, it is a justification. That's what it says. If, 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 if I'm living in habitual sin, it's not a justification to men that I'm saved, but God knows. God knows whether I'm saved because I trust him. And I can tell you, you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, you say you do, but only God really knows the heart, right? But so my outworking, you know, I'm not living like, you know, everybody else anymore. That's my sanctification being set apart. So there's a difference of opinion there. So I want to move on to the second thing. In this verses section, I'm probably going to have to do a couple videos. I don't know.